Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 5 of the From Where I Sit podcast. My name is Christopher Carter, your host, and I'm a former No Limit soldier. I thought I told ya. Served two tours back in the day, got a purple heart, a silver star, and a platinum grill for my service. Served under General Percy Miller, salute, who left our battalion to become a Toronto Raptor, a Charlotte Hornet, and start some kind of record label or something. Probably didn't turn into anything big. Oh well. On today's episode, we finally dive into a subject I enjoy talking about, but haven't talked about so far, sports. Today's topic is tanking in Major League Sports. I'll identify what it is for those that don't know, uh, give some recent examples of tanking, what its main drawbacks are, why it isn't as great an idea as others say it is, and ways that fans can curtail it going forward. So plug in your headphones, get comfy in your chair of choice, and let's get this thing going. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Make sure you plug in the charger before you get settled. You and I both know you're at less than 15% battery life. I'll wait. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, you're plugged in. You're ready to go. Um, All right, we can get this thing going. See you on the other side. So we're talking about tanking in professional sports. What is tanking? Uh, By definition, tanking is the team's intent to do less than everything it can to win. It is a concerted effort by certain teams over several months or years to be deliberately not as good as it could be. Uh, Tanking is also a cheap and dishonest byproduct of a flawed system where a team is rewarded for being bad and deliberately losing uh, as a strategic decision. Uh, Such rewards include high draft picks, compensatory draft picks, depending on particular free agent signings or not, or a higher percentage chance of getting a top pick in the lottery if we're talking about NBA. So let me give you three examples of tanking. We'll start with the Miami Marlins. Uh, This is a franchise that won two titles in a six-year span, but they haven't been back uh, since 2003. Two years ago, they were second in their division, but then they made an ownership change to make Derek Jeter the CEO, and that has not worked out well at all. They decided to offload two of their best players, one named Christian Yelich, the other Giancarlo Stanton. Mr. Yelich went on to become the league MVP his first year in his new team, uh, MVP most valuable player. So that tells you how good a player he was. And he was in the running to do it again back to back years, uh, but he fractured his kneecap. Giancarlo Stanton was a fan favorite that they paid major money as the cornerstone of the team. He was the perfect big fish in a small pond type of baseball player, but he got shipped out for a bushel of sunflower seeds, Costco-sized box of Big League Chew, and two jars of pine tar. Miami has now decided to become the basement dwellers that they are currently. Next team up is the Miami Dolphins. They decided that um, they did not want to add talent to the middle of a to a middle of the road team uh, that had talent on it. They just needed to tweak a few things, uh, get a few coaches, get some position coaches in play, got a new head coach. All they had to do was just stay the course, and they could have gotten better. But they decided 
to trade away the best of what they had at two positions one week before the regular season started. They've been soundly beaten the first three weeks of the season. And even if the effort is there, the franchise cut themselves off at the knees by being woefully understaffed out there on the football field. It's been so bad that players currently on the team, after that first loss, uh, 59-10 to I might add, put out trade requests through the media to get off the team as soon as possible. And one guy, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, who was their Swiss Army knife, got traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, he did technically go from one 0-3 team to another 0-3 team, but you know. At least the Steelers are trying to compete. And lastly, the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are a terribly run franchise by one of the most petulant, petty owners in the history of modern sports. They cannot groom quality talent in their own backyard. They rely on an off-season free agent market that has no interest in coming to the team. And the belief in the historical nature of the MSG parquet, the fact that this is supposedly the mecca of NBA basketball, he thinks that people are going to come for that reason and that reason alone. He makes boneheaded midseason trades for players they have no interest in hanging on to or building around. They hire a coach who's most likely xenophobic and starts beefs or finds ways to undermine and undercut his most talented foreign players because he prefers a specific type of American player. Said coach then uses a style of coaching that relies more on emotion and speeches as opposed to actual strategy or X's and O's. They spend this most recent offseason hiring mercenary players to short one-year or two-year deals with the obvious intent of offloading those guys for picks, young talent who can't leave due to rookie structures, or bad contracts to put them back in the same exact situation again next year. I mean, I'm not going to mention the fact that a former GM uh, who was in charge of basketball operations, who was known for winning six titles in Chicago as a coach, a couple more titles in L.A. as a coach, uh, came to New York City and promptly fell asleep on his MTA buses, just saying. Other examples in recent times include the Seattle Mariners of this past season, the Chicago Bulls of 2017, the Dallas Mavericks of 2017, the Phoenix Suns of last year, the Philadelphia 76ers during the Trust the Process era, the Oakland Raiders of last year, and technically this year with the whole Antonio Brown situation, the current Oklahoma City Thunder, and the list goes on and on and on. From where I sit, this is how tanking is unfair to fans. There are fans who have grown up loving a franchise and will stick with them through thick and thin, up and down, lean year and championship year, and those fans will be there no matter what. Those are not the fans that I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the ones who invest their time and money into buying personal seat licenses, merchandise on a yearly basis, or the ones that take their families on trips to stadiums to support these poorly run teams with their money. Mike Gillerin of the Santa Clara School of Law notes that we should not hold our breath 
waiting for team owners to lower the prices of tickets, parking, souvenirs, and concessions during the time the team is giving its fans suboptimal effort and an inferior product. And he's right. The merchandise isn't getting any cheaper. The parking is not getting any cheaper. The tickets are not getting any cheaper. The souvenirs are not getting any cheaper. Even the sports streaming product that you're having shot directly into your tablet or home, it's not getting cheaper either. Yet, these franchises want the fans to stand up and get loud during pivotal moments, give the players on the field as much applause and cheering as your hands and vocal cords can handle. They want you to support these players unconditionally. It's unfair to ask them to give of themselves emotionally and financially when the team itself isn't given the tools to compete on the court or in the field, or it finds ways to undermine its own upward trajectory just for a chance at a draft pick for a chance as someone in the future. I don't suggest that a franchise only dwell on the present or the past. The future does matter, but all eggs don't have to be in the future basket if you catch my drift. Tanking is also poor form by the owners because they don't even try to compete. Uh, I remember hearing one of my favorite sports journalists, Bomani Jones, mention during a conversation many years ago, and I'm paraphrasing here, that these owners aren't here to win, they're here to make money. And that phrase stuck with me ever since. These owners are cashing in at all levels. TV deals, side deals with other brands and corporations. You've got revenue sharing, ticket sales, merchandise sales, probably gambling as well. Uh, in some markets, teams don't even want to do that well because that means they'll have to shell out more money paying for playoff promotional content. And that's not ideal for them. They don't want to pay concessions. They don't want to pay for field maintenance. They don't want to pay for parking attendance. They just don't want to pay that money, which is a shame in my opinion. What's interesting to me is that if these sports are all a competition and these owners have meetings on a yearly basis, wouldn't it be of every owner's interest to put the best product he or she could on the field to throw it in their peers' faces at these meetings? I mean, it's kind of hard to come into an owner's meetings and really try to flex like yo son i just went 0 and 16 what like what are we what are you going to do about that like that's that's a very weird flex but i don't think it's going to fly at an owner's meeting tanking is also not the surefire way to rebuild that everyone says it is in order for any franchise to rebuild and become a perennial championship contender a lot has to go right the team has to be just healthy enough meaning star players can't be injured or limited in any way. The coaching has to be spot on, where every player is operating at peak efficiency and every button is being pressed the right way in terms of X's and O's. The strategy each team has to employ has to be effective and also have pivots in place if it doesn't. Then you throw in the completely random nature of refereeing or umpiring on a nightly basis. You've got weather, jet lag, uh, mental issues affecting players, coaches, and maybe even the nation. You've got tons of variables to watch out for. So relying on a process where you're pinning your team's hopes and dreams on a singular player doesn't seem like a smart one for multiple teams to chase after, especially when you take into account the player isn't necessarily a slam dunk, a touchdown, or a home run, whatever your scoring euphemism may be. No matter what the metrics tell you, what the lineage may be, what the size and speed combination may be, what the talking heads on sports media will tell you, there are no guarantees when it comes to chasing picks that high on a yearly basis. Even if the surefire talent is everything we thought it was and more, they still have to contend with staying healthy, 
with being well coached well, catching all the breaks from the refs, staying on the positive side of any mental adversity, improving as players on the professional level, avoiding the pitfalls of popularity and fame, acquiring and creating a platform to sell oneself. It's a lot to put all of your hopes and dreams on. The best example I can think of right now is Saquon Barkley. He's a great player, all-time talent at his position for the New York Giants as a running back, but his presence on the Giants football team will not necessarily ensure them to get a title within the next two or three years. Uh, he's already had, He already had a year of service time in his career. He came to a team and he went 5-11. and 11. You know, what can, what can he really do? How can he... He can't really affect the game by himself. That's what I'm trying to say. We accept this practice at the professional level of relying on these guys because we are seduced by the prospect of drafting a player who will act as a savior and lead our professional sports teams to glory. If that were the case, tanking would be an acceptable practice across the board, though. If every first-round pick in every major sport panned out, we wouldn't even have the term bust or reach in play if we had guarantees like that. Every single player in the first round would be a savior. But we don't. Human beings are capable of making mistakes even when things look like shoe-ins, and we can't rely on this process every single season. Maybe there are some options to keep these teams honest and competitive for as long as possible. I know it's a pipe dream, a magical fantasy worthy of Disney animation, but here's hoping it's possible down the road by a future commissioner or two who want to hold these franchises' feet to the fire like a marshmallow at a campsite. Severe penalties should be in play for those that don't do their best to compete to a certain point in the season, and if that persists, maybe those owners should be ousted or forced to sell their teams to someone willing to follow the rules. Fines and lawsuits shouldn't be out of the question as well. Another option would have to be done on a CBA level, aka collective bargaining agreement level. Kids coming in from the collegiate level, as talented as they are and as skilled as they are, represent cheap, controllable labor that teams can utilize to their advantage. Why pay a skilled veteran tens of millions of dollars for three to four years when they can get the same talent for seven years for much less money overall? Switch up these contracts so these kids can be free agents sooner with less hangups like franchise tags, transition tags, and BS like that to let them move around as they see fit. If the franchise runs things well enough, that player should want to stay where he was drafted, and if not, he then has the ability to go wherever he wants. That should, in principle, force these franchises to run a tighter ship and tank less as a result. But, you know. Here are a few potential suggestions uh, if things don't get any better from a fan standpoint. So, these franchises have to understand that in this era of social media, hot takes and viral nature of news... They have to do better by these fans because if they don't, they're going to get left in the proverbial dirt like dinosaur bones. Uh, fans can stop going to games, but that's only a drop in the bucket. The key to really hitting these franchises is to stop watching the team entirely. Nothing in a local market. Drive down that TV revenue. Drive down that user engagement. Drive down that ad revenue. That passive revenue that comes from whatever traffic they may see online, uh, even the parking money, stop laying down money for uh, all these streaming services like uh, or cable services. 
like NFL Direct Ticket, Red Zone, League Pass, MLB TV, or whatever it is, and you'll definitely see a change. Those business types are going to then call their meetings, uh, call in consultants, and do fan polls just to find out what's wrong. And they'll try to come to a conclusion that cheap food, uh, cheap tickets, maybe cheap merch might be the way to go, but it won't be enough. All the fan engagements on the field or on the court won't be enough. All the tours at the stadium, all those contests on local radio, that won't cut it. What they'll need to do is make their on-court or on-field product better. And with that, we should be able to see a more enjoyable product in local markets. In closing, uh, Mr. Gillerin from the Santa Clara School of Law also said that we would never accept a high school or a college team trying to lose. We're raised and taught in our youth to compete by giving our best at all times, but that presently we seem to be accepting tanking by our mediocre or bad teams in exchange for a possible championship team later. Because of this acceptance and the absence of moral outrage by the fans, Despite the ethical or moral issues inherent in this practice, tanking is likely to remain present in professional sports for the foreseeable future. It's going to be there for at least the short term. But I feel like we as fans or those with a vested interest in sports have much more power to create change on the field than we know. And we should look into tapping into that in the same foreseeable future to get this practice out of the professional level of sports. We need to keep the same energy we have for high school kids and college kids for the pros. They should adhere to the same standards we're taught we were taught growing up, and if not, we should probably do to them what many phys ed teachers did to us when we were coming up, take the ball away from them until they learn how to play the right way. And that has been another episode of the From Where I Sit podcast. Hope you were able to take away a few bits of information from this podcast on tanking. It is an epidemic, but we can definitely do something to fix it. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, feel free to hit me up via email or social media. Links to those are in the episode description. If you enjoyed the episode, Feel free to share it around with friends, family, or coworkers. Uh, tell the people in your Uber pool about it. The people at the front desk at your fitness establishment of choice. Uh, your friends at Bible study. Um, maybe those people you sit in the same pew with at Sunday Mass. Or even the security guard at the front desk of your apartment building. He does have a lot of free time on his hands. And he'll definitely appreciate you for giving him content to listen to. And lastly, if you want to support the podcast directly, there's a link on the Anchor page for listener support, as well as a PayPal link and a Amazon wish list in the episode description. Anything you provide will be greatly appreciated by me, the host, and will be put to good use in creating more content going forward. Have a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night, people. Let's shoot for the stars. Shoot for the stars.